0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, from longing to lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. We are in Second Samuel chapter 7, so great to see all of you. Second uh, Samuel 7, as, uh, it was so wonderful to watch that video. And, um, and just to be reminded that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to care about the, the good news of Christ going not only locally to people around us, but also globally. And so we have a number of partners. It's great that uh, the Timothy Initiative is a new one for us. And, uh, and I just wanted to thank you for partnering with us in this ministry that we have uh, to our community and beyond. Uh, Thank you for your support, for your financial support throughout the year. I also wanted to make you aware that for, if you know of a need that anyone in our church family has to let us know, we have a benevolence fund specifically for this purpose. We help a number of people from it, but sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we don't find out, people don't tell us. And so if you are aware, please do let us know. I also wanted to talk to those of you who perhaps have never experienced the joy of giving, uh, whether it's because you don't have the faith or the funds or the knowledge. You know, uh, my, my desire for you is that as we go into 2021, that you would experience breakthrough uh, as it relates to your relationship to money. And it always starts with giving to God, giving for the gospel work. And so uh, contact us if you would like to grow in that area because we would love to, uh, to teach you, to come alongside you and help you in this way. But just continue to pray as we, uh, as we seek to grow into our budget. It's one of our goals that we have between now and the uh, upcoming months uh, so that we here at Royal Oak can really grow into that. Um, also, we have the Warming Center coming. And uh, this is coming January 3rd through the 17th. We're going to be housing here uh, some of our uh, homeless neighbors uh, so that we can, we're trying to cover the entire winter with different churches partnering with them. We're doing two weeks this year. Last, uh, this last winter, we did one week. Uh, They asked us a number of churches did not make it through the pandemic. And so they've asked us if we would do more. And so we said, yes, but we need you. We need your help. Now, just so you know, uh, the the homeless that are going to be in this program, they're all, they're going to be the same throughout. And they enter into a bubble, so to speak, last week where they're being tested every other day, uh, very closely monitor where they're going, um, temperatures taken, all of that to make sure that, that it's a safe environment for them as well as for all the volunteers. So you can know that that's, uh, all those protocols are being followed. But here's the thing, we need a 100 of us we need a 100 of us to pull this off. I got into my car on Tuesday uh, and it was like 20 degrees and I did not heat it up ahead of time or anything. So I'm, you know, So it was a little bit cold for a little while and it just reminded me, this is why we do this because my car got warm within a few minutes. But for some of these neighbors who are homeless, they don't have that option. And so would you please pray? And if you're healthy, if you're well, would you come? We need about 100 of us. You can contact us at ROINFO if you want to volunteer or with your notes from the weekend from last Monday or you'll get them again tomorrow. You can go click on the link and you'll see where the needs are. We need volunteers. We need meals. Uh, It just takes a small army to be able to do this. Just think of uh, the joy of giving. Uh, Winter's here. Winter is hard. So let's help. Okay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We're in 2 uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us so much, for being so generous to us, for giving us salvation in Christ, but also for giving us and taking care of our needs, our material needs and relational and emotional, Lord, and in so many other ways, so that we have much, a well to give from. Father, I pray that our hearts would be soft. As we hear of these needs, Father, I pray that we would want to say yes. Faster than we think of, "ooh, mm, can't. Father, thank you for this mission of the good news of Christ that we not only get to experience, but also to bring to others. Lord, we know that the gospel must be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. We want you to use us mightily in this task. Raise up leaders among us, Lord, servant leaders, followers of Jesus who know the urgency of the time and the need for a savior and the joy of giving away our lives. Lord, let not one of us waste our lives with trifling things. Let us experience Ungoingly, the joy of giving ourselves up as Christ gave himself up for us and now feed us, Lord, by your word. Exalt the name of Jesus in and among us. In his name we pray, amen. Second Samuel 7, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The word of the Lord. Four more days and then Christmas day. It never gets old. It never gets old in our house. It never gets old in my life. From as far back as my memories go, December has been my favorite month. We're talking all through the 80s, people. But then it got a boost in 1997 because December 1997 is when Anna and I fell in love. So the two most powerful persons in my life, Jesus and Anna have collided to make December a month like no other for me. Now I know, I know that Jesus and Anna inhabit qualitatively, different dimensions. She's but a distant second, but you know what I'm I'm saying? Now, as great as December is, one thing that you often hear from people about December is how hectic it is. Less so this year because of COVID, but people are always talking about the shopping and the office party and the, the decorations and more shopping for the people who didn't make it to your list the first time. Do you know what I'm talking about? You make your list and all these people get left off. But then as the month goes on, you start feeling guilty. It's like, ooh, I got to at least get an honorable mention for Bill. You know, and so there's always more shopping, more parties. You know, there's those gifts that are hard to wrap. You know, we were playing Family Feud on Zoom with our live group recently. So much fun. You should do that. Guys versus girls. Guess who won? The women. The women always seem to win. Yeah, Ianna's pumped. But, uh, you know, but according to the hundred people that the game asked this question to, guess what's the hardest gift to wrap? A basketball, I don't agree. But anyway, December is full of activity and it's exhausting. But then comes Christmas Eve and things start to slow down. Then Christmas day and everything comes to a screeching halt. And I mean, you don't wanna travel. You don't wanna take a road trip on Christmas day because everything is closed. There's no food we've learned, trust me. And so there's all this activity, You know, all this anticipation and excitement, all this growing buildup, and then we rest but the rest is too short. You know, there's all this activity that's leading to this moment, but the rest doesn't last very long. We're far more comfortable with lots of activity, lots of doing. Now that rhythm in December could be a a parable for what our text is teaching us today. Actually, what this whole series on the covenants teach us, because we're far more aware of our activity, our doing than we are of God's activity and God's doing. We live in the frenzy of frantic activity between December 1st and 23rd, but God wants us to live in the rest and peace and quiet of December 24th, 25th, even 26th. We see this impulse for doing in David today. God comes to us and says, nope, I'm doing for you. And so there's this amazing truth that is so hard for us to internalize, and it's this. You can't serve God better than God serves you. You can't serve God better than God serves you. Now, you may say to that statement, yeah, of course, but is it? We go back to this whole thing of giving. Some of you don't give because you don't believe that God far outgives you. Just don't believe it. You may hear it. You may read Jesus, how much he talks about it. You just don't believe it. But when we start believing this, you can serve God better than God serves you. When that reality becomes your reality, you're gonna be a new person, hands down. And so let's unpack this amazing idea, but even better passage of scripture and learn. First, that God doesn't need our work for his glory. Look at chapter seven of 2 Samuel, verse one. Now, when the king, this is David, lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan, the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. Okay, let's situate ourselves. Where are we in the biblical narrative? This, the straightest line for us to cover the biblical story consists of six names. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus. Now, we didn't do a sermon in this series on Adam because we only had five weeks. Just kidding. No, because there's debate as to whether God's dealings with Adam and Eve could properly be described as a covenant. And so we started with God's covenant with Noah, where he preserved uh, that he's going to preserve life on the earth. Evil persists. So then God chooses Abraham and through Abraham, he's going to have a nation for his own and he's going to give them a land. Then after that, he makes a covenant with the people of Israel through Moses and gives them his law, which no other nation in history has ever possessed. A few hundred years go by between Moses and David. And now the people of Israel have a land. They have a law, but they don't have a king. Now, the dealings of God with humankind are all about establishing God's kingdom, God's rule on earth as it is in heaven. And to have a kingdom, what do you need? You need a people and a land and a law. And a king. And so all of these different elements are being set in place through the covenants. So we have God's covenant with Noah, where he preserves life. We have God's covenant with Abraham, where he guarantees the people and the land. We have God's covenant with Israel through Moses, where he gives them the law. And now we have God's covenant with David, where he guarantees a king. A king it is hard to overemphasize the importance of David in the history of Israel. In fact, in the history of humankind. There are over a thousand references to David in this Bible. Did you know this? David becomes Israel's chief songwriter and greatest king. He receives perhaps the best commendation of any human in scripture, a man after God's own heart. David sinned big, but it's what he did after he sinned that showed his true worship. He humbled himself before the Lord. David never turned to false worship, which was Israel's perennial sin, idolatry. Not for David. David loved the Lord, his God. Rather than resenting God's discipline when he sinned, he received it, which is the mark of true sonship. He fought the Lord's battles. He taught Israel the true heart of worship in the songs he wrote, many of which are still teaching us in the Psalms. David was jealous for the Lord's glory. Now, when we get, by the time we get to 2 Samuel 7, there have been a number of chapters in the story between God and David. Following the time of the judges, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did as he saw fit. It was chaos. And so then we get the monarchy, but the monarchy gets started on the wrong foot because the people's motives in asking for a king were unholy. They resented God's kingship and they wanted to be like the nations around them. And the first of Israel's kings, Saul, was not a man after God's own heart. So God takes the kinship from him and gives it to David. Now, by any human account, David should not have been anointed as king. He came from a humble family. And yet God sent the prophet Samuel to David's father, Jesse, to anoint his king. And so Jesse brings his sons, all of them, seven of them, one by one, and stands them before, parades them before Samuel. And each time God says, he's not the one. All seven of Jesse's songs come through. All seven are rejected. God says, none of this is the one. And Samuel is confused. He looks at Jesse. He's like, are you sure? Is this all your sons? And Jesse says, well, there's yet the youngest, but he's out in the fields keeping the sheep. What he's really saying is he's the runt. You don't really want him. And Samuel says, go get him. And so when David comes and he stands before Samuel, the Lord says to Samuel, arise. Anoint him. This is the one. Amazing. But then following the anointing of David, everything became awesome and peachy for him. Of course not. There was a period of great testing because as David's fame grows, Saul becomes mad with jealousy and is out for David's blood. David kills Goliath, becomes a powerful warrior and military commander and Saul begins to spiral down, attempting to take David's life a number of times, but David escapes and even spares Saul's life. He would not touch him, even though he was evil. But he was the Lord's anointed, so David would not lay his hand on him. Saul dies. David becomes king, and his kingdom is established. He's fighting and winning the Lord's battles. He even disposes the Jebusites from Jerusalem. Israel had never done this. David does it, and he captures Jerusalem, makes the capital, the city of David. And he sends and brings the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the tablets with the commandments and brings it to Jerusalem. And it's at this point that David has this thought, I need to build a house for my God. You see, the king of Sire had built a house, a great house for David made out of cedar. And there were carpenters and masons involved in this project. But to David, it started to feel wrong that he had this nice house. But his God dwelt in a tent. You see, remember in this latter part of Exodus, right after God establishes the covenant with Israel, we looked at this last week, the latter part of Exodus, the last 15 chapters are all about how Israel, Moses, they're to build the tabernacle, which was a temple, a tent structure. It was temporary in nature. It was meant to be able to move around with Israel. It was where God's presence with Israel recited, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, where the priests offered sacrifices, but it was humble in nature, it was temporary. And so all of this is sitting ill with David. He says, I am king and I dwell in this nice house. I need to dwell, build a house for my God. And so he goes and he tells it to the prophet Nathan. And Nathan says, go for it. But God comes and says, actually, no. Look at verse four. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go. In essence, what God says to David is, no, you will not build me a house, your son will. We learn in another part of scripture that David had too much blood on his hands and God's house, his temple is holy, so he cannot build it. But I love what we learn about God here. God says, from the time, it's been centuries, from the time that I brought Israel out of Egypt, I have not dwelt in a house. I've dwelt in a tent. Why? He says, because I've been moving about. With my people, Israel. Don't you love this? Israel is on the move. God is on the move. Israel are pilgrims. So God is a pilgrim along with them. He says, I didn't ask any of my leaders in Israel to build me a house of cedar. You need to understand that every respectable God in the ancient Near East had a temple. They had a house. There are ruins of some of these still. Magnificent temples for many of them, but not the true God. Israel's God dwells in a tent, in a hut kind of. You see what God says? He says, until I secure my people and give them rest from their enemies and give them their land, I will not ask for a temple. Listen to me. Our God travels with us in the ups and downs of life he moves with us he identifies with us so closely when mary and martha were grieving were weeping over the death of their brother lazarus jesus grieved and wept with them he entered right into that pain with them he was right there do you think about this aspect of god's love for you i know some of you have gone through some intense challenges, many of them that have lasted for years, and you might feel alone, forgotten, unseen, but nothing could be farther from the truth. God is with you, he sees you, he remembers you, it's who he is, he's right there, he's close to the brokenhearted and to the crushed in spirit. You can't serve God better than he serves you. Remember this when you're discouraged. Remember also that God works to bring us to rest. God works to bring us to rest. Look at verse eight. God continues. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant, David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people, Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. enemies okay remember how this whole section started it started with David wanting to build do something for God build him a house and I said this is important because as what I said in the beginning we're so much more comfortable with activity with doing so much more aware of what we are to do than we are comfortable with rest we like achieving for ourselves more than receiving it builds our ego The frenzy of frantic activity in December is a good parable for how we can live our lives and we can take that same approach to our walk with God. But God comes and says, no, I'm working for you. Look at all the things that God says that he's doing for David. He doesn't want him to miss it. Look at verse eight. God says, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. David should not have been anointed. If God had not been in it, they would have anointed any of the other seven sons of Jesse. Verse nine, God says, I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Yes, David was a mighty military commander, but God is the one who cut off his enemies, who gave him victory. Middle of verse nine, I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. Why are we talking about David 3,000 years after he lived? The shepherd boy. Because God said, I'm gonna make your name great. Verse 10, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. And then verse 11, I will give you rest from your, all your enemies. Rest. I wonder, for those of you, as we come to the end of the year and are exhausted, I wonder why. I know this has been a tough, tough year. One we won't soon forget. Do you remember what happened in 2018, 2013? No, we're gonna remember 2020 for decades to come. But you see, it's in years like 2020 that our deep beliefs, deep values, deep desires come to the surface. And so I wonder whether you've been running on your own strength or running on God's strength. I mean, what thought is more prevalent for you you working for God or God working for you? Which one is it? Are you more aware? Which one occupies more of your mental and emotional space? You working for God? You you coming to church? you reading the Bible? You giving your cents and dollars to the mission? Are those the things, you avoiding sin? Are those the things that are closest to your consciousness? Or is it God working for you? Because that's the gospel. You see, your answer to that question is going to reveal whether how well or how poorly you get the gospel. Because the gospel is all God working for us. God works to bring us rest. And finally, God provides a forever king to serve us. God provides a forever king to serve us. Here we get into the covenant the God makes with David. Look at the middle of verse 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Okay, we need to pause right here so we can enjoy the play on words. David says, I'm gonna build you a house. God says, no, I'm gonna build you a house. You know, it reminds me when my mother lived with us for the last three years, you know, uh, before she passed away and went to glory. Um, We had some very hard times. Her body was failing her fast. But we also had some sweet memories, some that we get to uh, talk about. Now we've been talking about them for the last few months. Uh, almost every day, something comes up. And, you know, she used to play these games with the children, especially with Piper. And uh, they would play this game where my mom, you know, she was like 70 something, my mom was the baby, and Piper was the mommy. She's got to think like, this was kind of ridiculous. You know, my mom is like a 70 something year old woman. She would make these baby noises like, you know, and a baby who was nine years old at the time would like, would like comfort her. It was so fun. They played this game also where, you know, they would talk, they would just talk about who loved whom the most. So Piper would say to my mom, I love you. And my mom would say, I love you more. And Piper would say, I love you most. And my mom, who could never lose an argument, would say, no, I love you most. And they would laugh and laugh. But I feel like that, that's kind of what's going on with David and God. David says, I'm going to build you a house. And God says, no, I'm going to build you a house. It's a play on words because David is in this house now made of cedar, nice. He's having rest from his enemies. And he goes, I need to build my God a house, a temple. But God says, no, I'm going to build you a house, a dynasty, an everlasting dynasty. Look at verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Kings have come and gone, but to this day and for all eternity, David's royal dynasty endures because of the promises that God made to him right here in these verses. This covenant is unstoppable. Death can't touch it. Sin can't overthrow it. Time can't erase it. Let's talk about those. Death can't Touch it. Look at verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come from, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. As God promised Abraham's offspring, the land, now he promises David's offspring, the kingship. David will lie down with his fathers, but God will raise up a dynasty for him that will last forever. The word for offspring or seed applies to each descendant, but it also applies to the throne as a dynasty. This dynasty cannot be threatened by death. God will continue to raise up offspring, seed for David. Death can't touch it, sin can't overthrow it. Look at verse 14, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son when he commits iniquity. I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I put away from before you. Each king in David's line will receive the discipline of God when they stray from God's law. God disciplines those he loves. Remember that in your own walk with God. When we read the book of Kings, we see the sin in the line of David, but we also see the punishment that God brings on those wicked kings. But there's a limit. There's a limit. Sin won't have the last word. Sin can't overcome God's Covenant love. Verse 15, it's amazing. You need to underline it because the same Hebrew word appears three times. Your English translation obscures that fact because it translates it with three different words. Depart, took, put away. But it's the same Hebrew word. What God is saying to David about his offspring is but my steadfast love, my covenant love will not be removed from him as I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Do you see? Ungodly kings in the line of David will pay for their rebellion, but God's covenant love will endure until it finds its home in the king who has no sin. The king who is holy, Innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, exalted in the heavens. Sin can't overthrow his throne. Amazing. And time can erase it. Look at verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Listen. David's dynasty, his throne, his kingdom will be established forever. You know that there have been so many royal lines that come and go. These royal dynasties either cease to exist or cease to be powerful. But David's royal dynasty will only increase in power. Isaiah 9 of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Which is why when the New Testament opens, we read in the very first verse of the very first book, Matthew 1, 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And when Revelation closes almost the last Verse of the Bible, Revelation twenty two sixteen. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Yes. This covenant is irrevocable, inevitable, unstoppable. Yes. The great dynasties of Egypt and Mesopotamia Lasted maybe a hundred years. The best one in Egypt lasted 250. But from the time of David to the time when the kingdom of Judah went into exile, there were 400, about 400 years. And even when Israel was exiled and there was no Davidic king on the throne, the line of David remains until it surfaces again with the one who was born king of the Jews. Jerusalem can be destroyed. God's people can go into exile. But when God says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, neither death nor sin nor time can stand in the way. Jesus is God's forever king. We will celebrate the new covenant on Christmas Eve, but I hope that right now your heart is full, full of marvel. Marvel at the complex history of God's dealings with humanity to bring us a king who is righteous and wise, holy and innocent, unstained. When you have heaven's eyes, you will not object to one choice God's made in your life. No one. He's good to you. He's holy, he is righteous. You can't serve him better than he serves you. So enter into his rest. Why? Why would you continue in your frantic activity, doing, doing, thinking that that's gonna give you life? Let your frantic activity stop. Your anger, your greed, your striving. Let your king lead you and command you. He's holy, he's innocent, he's unstained. Do you marvel at your king? Marvel at the enduring quality of his rule. He died once for you, he will not die ever again. Marvel at the scope of Jesus' rule. Revelation 5.13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Marvel that such a glorious king would come to a rebel planet as a baby. I'll see you on Christmas Eve. Let's pray. Oh God, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for your dealings with this fallen race to bring to us the King. Holy, innocent, unstained. Not once did he sin. Not once did he look at a woman with lustful intent. Thank you, God. We needed him. We need him. Save us from our delirium of thinking that we will be happiest without your rule. It is suicide. Oh, but we believe such thoughts daily. Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would allow our King to lead us, to command us, That we would trust <laughs> Thank you. Father, I pray that for all of us, the thought of us working for you would be eclipsed by the fact that you work for us and you will always work for us for our good thank you our God I pray that the next few days as we prepare for Christmas for Advent we would marvel the King has come to this rebel planet as a baby. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.